0: Who here likes sharing food? Like, really? <laughs> like sharing your food? Yeah, you like food being shared. That's what you like. You know, like, who likes sharing their food? I do not like sharing my food. If you want to have a, like a very old, old school reference, I have sympathy with Joey. Joey doesn't share, Luke doesn't like sharing. Something delicious that I'd love to eat, and I watch it go somewhere else, I find that hard. I don't like it, I I suddenly discovered, wow, I thought there was this, I'm following Jesus, I love God, I love other people, but I want that cake, what do they do, how can they have that, it just happens, there's a physical thing, obviously, but there's something more than a physical thing going on, why do I feel that way, well, usually because if they have more, that means I'm going to have less, that's simple maths, isn't it, what if it didn't have to be that way? What if my heart was more fully transformed to be like Jesus's? And what if there was more available than any of us realised? We are going through a preaching series in which we are looking at obeying Jesus' commands to tell other people about him. And we are focusing on the, using hospitality uh, as part of responding to that, so we. This is about using our homes, uh, whatever they are, and whoever's in them, uh, in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbours, and neighbours family of God. And this is about more than just meals, uh, but often in the Gospels, uh, meals are moments of hospitality, and so that's what we're particularly focusing on in this series. And then from those moments, we're then looking at how can we can be how we can be hospitable people that people might hear about Jesus through us. And the meal in our reading today is enormous. It's enormous. It's one of the most famous stories about Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably heard about it. And obviously it makes us think, wow, Jesus is amazing. And it should make us think that. But I believe that God today wants us to see that as much as it is about Jesus, it's not just about him. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read a little bit of um, context, and then we're going to read the story itself. So the start of Luke chapter 9 says, Jesus called the 12 together. These are his closest followers. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics with you. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let's get down to verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provision. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is God's word. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through this story, just as we've read it, and we're going to pick up on four things that I think God wants to draw our attention to in it. And it's part of how I think God wants us to have fresh faith and fresh expectation for being a people who share what we've got, that we might be able to share the ultimate thing we've got, which is Jesus. And to do that well and generously and far beyond what we would have expected. So why don't we ask God to be with us as we do this. Lord, thank you so much for how you've spoken to us today and these stories we've seen and the truth of your word and the fact that you're with us right now by your Holy Spirit. We, as we've said, we welcome you. We're listening to you, Lord. Wanting to hear from you, wanting to be changed by you, wanting to be led by you. We pray that you'd give us grace to do that together today. Amen. Amen. Now, until chapter 9 in Luke's gospel, Jesus has basically been doing all the work. He is the one who's been preaching, he is the one who's been healing people, he is the one who's been setting people free. And everyone else around him, even his closest followers, are just, they're basically watching. That's their job. Their job is just to go like, "Oh my goodness!" Let's remember this and tell it to other people. That's what they're doing. He's doing everything, but something changes here. It says he called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he's beginning to share his mission with others. And so he gives them his power. He gives them his authority. He shares it with them and says to them, out you go and do this as well. And so they do. They departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What an amazing moment. What an incredible thing for them to do. He said to them, right, right. You guys are going to go and do this now. What you've seen me do, I'm giving you the same power. I'm giving you the same authority. Now you go and do it as well. And they do. So I must imagine, I don't know how they felt when they went out, but as they came back, they were like, I have got some stories to tell. I can't wait to see the others. I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to tell him. Well, I prayed for this person and they were healed. I told someone about you and they believed you. And they all come back and there's the noise of sharing stories and the excitement of it. And they're like, oh my goodness. We are really doing it. This is incredible. And at the same time, they're also probably like, that is the most tiring thing I've ever done in my life. I just went to a place where I didn't know anyone, and I started talking about someone they'd never heard of, and then I prayed for people to be, even in the excitement of doing that. That's exhausting. That's a big moment. And Jesus knows this. And so he says, okay, well, let's, let's just go and spend some time together. Let's just go and hang out and rest he took them and withdrew apart. But the trouble with being near Jesus is that everyone else wants to be near him as well. The crowds learned it and they followed him. And this is the first thing I want us to think about interruptions. So, how did, the, how did the disciples feel about this moment? They've had an incredible time, they're now exhausted. Jesus says, Okay, let's. Let's get some time together. Brilliant. That's the best thing. It's just him and them. He's going to teach them. He's going to encourage them. He's not going to ask them to do anything scary because it's just him and them. You know, they'll be fine. Great. We're going to rest. We're going to have a great time. This is going to be wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. What are all these people doing? Who are all, the, who are all these people? Where they're, they've seen him. They've seen him, haven't they? They wanted to rest. They wanted to be with Jesus. I mean, there is nothing unreasonable about that. That's it. It's like, all I wanted to do was be with you, Lord. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like asking for loads of money. I wasn't asking you know, for an, another new job. Like I, wasn't, I just wanted some time with you, Lord. It's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. The crowd starts to arrive, and the disciples are looking at them. And they're like, I know that guy. I know what that guy's like. And you're going to let him set the agenda? And I know what these crowds are. I know why they've got... I can see some of them limping. I can see see some lepers. I understand. But I know why a whole load of the other ones are here. They want to see a show. And Jesus, I needed some time with you. And what are you doing? Okay, you're not listening to me at all, like Jesus. No, you've gone. You've gone. They have been working. They have been going out there preaching the gospel and healing the sick and he's promised them some time together and a crowd, a ragamuffin bunch of people who want to see some more things come and what does he do? He welcomes them. I mean, maybe they were not like us so they thought something different but I don't think so. Jesus doesn't say, guys, there's a crowd coming. Let's go around here. He doesn't say, guys, there's a crowd coming. Give me two minutes. I'm just going to get rid of them. Jesus knows their heart. He doesn't say, guys, I know know you want some time with me, so let's just go off together. He doesn't do any of those things. He welcomes them. He welcomes them, which means there is a smile on his face. It means there's light in his eyes. It means his arms are open. He wants the whole crowd to see that he's happy they're here. Now, I've already started pouring out some of my petty sins, so I might as well keep going. I hate being interrupted. <laughs> I really don't like it. Not like, you know, just in a general crowd and all that kind of thing, but I like, I like having a plan, and then I like doing the plan. And then I like making a new plan and doing what's on that plan. That's what I like to do. I don't think that's, you know, an awful way to live. I think that's usually quite a healthy and productive way to be. But there's something about following Jesus that leads to plans being rearranged more often than we would like. We suddenly find ourselves in a situation where we're like, what's he, what's he doing? What is he doing? What's he doing? We had a plan. It was a good plan. It was a plan of doing things that he likes doing, he likes me doing, and now we're doing something else. Part of the prophetic word that encouraged us to do this preaching series said, if we as a church are going to get ready to enlarge our tents, so we'd had this word spoken encouraging us to believe that God was going to grow us and using a biblical metaphor of enlarging our tents. If we as a church going to get ready to enlarge our tents, that pretty much means being ready to just disrupt a little bit of the daily routine and let people into our homes. Just have an open door, don't worry if the dishes are in the sink kind of a policy. And if you're a planner like me, that's hard. You don't like doing it. You don't have, like, I'm just not ready for that moment. Others of you, you're really creative, so you're, like, looking for that moment. But you know what? Whether or not you enjoy that happening or not, I feel like most of us at the moment are going through a time in which it's really hard for God just to say, hey, let's go and do this now. Because... There's something about coming out of COVID and and the impact of lockdowns and and all of that kind of stuff that just seems that most of us are struggling to have the same amount of energy and time and enthusiasm that we had before. So every night you're like, man, this guy's really rigid about his plans. That sounds awful. I bet you have less energy now than you did two and a half years ago. Or that's what it feels like to you. Now, there's a lot of complexity as to why that's happened, and it may be different in different ways for different ones of us. But I think it's useful to acknowledge it. Because when we start to acknowledge it, we can then start to say, actually, that's not how Jesus has called me to live. Actually, if I'm going to follow him, I need to go where he wants to go, when he wants to go. See, we can be so keen to have personal boundaries, which are often right and healthy. But the trouble is we can make them into walls and no one's allowed to pass through them, not even God. Jesus, I've said we're going to do this, so this is really what I want to do. I don't, I don't have time to do that. I don't have energy. I don't want to do that. And we can't imagine that an interruption is really an invitation from God. What if this story, which is so significant that it's the only miracle included in all four Gospels along with the resurrection, what if it had ended before it began? With Jesus being like, that's not the plan for today, see you later. But God isn't like that. He welcomes us. He welcomes anyone. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says in Psalm 103, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So he has rest for us. He has renewing strength for us. He has kindness for us. But he also then wants us to be the conduits through which he expresses that to others as well. So we have to experience that. But as we experience it, he wants us to be sharing it with other people as well. And that often happens through our plans being interrupted. It often happens through someone just saying, hey, I need some help. Like that guy getting the phone call. He's like nearly a thousand kilometers away. I'd be like, I don't know how to help you today. I'm really sorry. guy's like, right, no, we've got to sort this because this is a moment of grace. To this person, And it was. And so this guy rings up his other friends doesn't he, he says, okay, I need you to stop whatever you're doing because I can't stop what I'm doing. I'm too far. You need to go and speak to this person right now and talk to them about Jesus. And because people kept saying yes to this interruption from God, it was an invitation for that person to give his life to Jesus and he was saved. So that's what happens when we say yes to God. That's what happens when we allow him to set the agenda. Now, if you could give anything to anyone, what would you give them? If you were going to welcome people, you'd say, oh, I want to welcome people. What should I give them? That's not a hypothetical question for Jesus because he's got like, all the resources in the universe and more. So here's what he gives to the crowd. He welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So he shares with them the love of God and the truth of God. And the power of God. And he's teaching them. He's telling them stories that they understand that make them laugh. He's showing them what God's word really means. He's showing them that what God's word really means is actually it's all about him. He is challenging them. He's saying there's a whole new way of life you need to live, which is putting God at the heart of everything. And so he's doing a lot of that. And as he's doing that, and probably before and during and afterwards, people are coming close to get healed because they see someone else get healed or they've heard that he's healed other people and so they come to him. I'm going to guess not in an orderly queue. I'm going to guess there was a slight sense of a rabble about it in one way or another, the bolder ones come first and then others are like, wow, this is really, it's really happening. It's really, I could come too. Maybe it just takes some of them longer to get there because of what they're currently suffering with. Even if the healings are instant, there's no conveyor belt involved here. Jesus asks them, who are you? How can I help you? What do you need? They discover that he actually does want to talk to them. And so they talk to him back and then he heals them in some wonderful way or other. And how do they respond? I mean, some of them, we know from other stories in the gospel, some of them will been like, thank you so much. I'm off. But I'm going to guess that most of them stayed for a little bit to say thank you and to to hug him or to worship him or to realize what's happened and turn to others and say, look what he's just done. And this is all wonderful, incredible teaching, incredible miracles, and it takes a lot of time. And some of the disciples are just starting to look more and more at the sun and it's going down, it's going further and further down. Maybe also they're just kind of, feeling their stomachs rumbling a little bit. And the thought forms and then takes hold. This has been lovely, Jesus. But it's really time for these people to leave. Now, the 12 do a really good job of not just observing the problem, but offering a solution. It's good. Don't just give me a problem. Give me a solution as well. They say that. They say, Jesus, send the crowd away. To go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place and their rights. And that's a reasonable suggestion. So ancient Near Eastern culture valued hospitality really highly. So people could knock on a stranger's door and say, I'm just in the area. I need some help. And that was a legitimate thing to do. And they could expect to receive more than just like a British frown of like disbelief that someone would do such a thing. But clearly the essence of the disciples' suggestion is, Jesus, get them out of here. Move them on. We need some time with you. And that's when Jesus just says one of those things that makes them realize that they may be on the same planet as him, but it's like they're in different worlds. Because he looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. What? Like, actually, what? What? How? And just like that, he's put them in an impossible situation. This is our second thing to think about. Why does he do that? They've been doing some amazing things on his behalf. They've been preaching and healing. Isn't he he satisfied with that? Now, they don't say that, they just focus on the practicality. They say, We've no more than five loaves and two fish. Yeah, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people, that's one of those suggestions that isn't a suggestion, is it? That's one of those things when someone said something ridiculous, and the only way you can make them realise that is by giving them a response that's equally ridiculous and giving them like a meaningful look. Like, do you want us to buy everything? Do you want us to buy food for five thousand people, Jesus? Because that seems to be what you're suggesting. In the panic of him saying you give them something to eat, had they forgotten who he was? Some of them had been at Cana at the wedding there when he'd miraculously provided hundreds of litres of the best wine. They've literally just watched him heal people. But his emphasis on them doing something is like a gear shift for them and it, it leaves them feeling kind of hopeless and they absolutely have my sympathy. But Jesus pushes them. Why does he do this? What's he trying to do? Even though they've been following him, they've been obeying him, they've been telling people about him, they've been sharing his love and his, his power. They, they've, they've turned away from their old lives. They're going where he tells them to go. And, and he, but he's still saying something else to them. Why is he doing that? I think part of the answer is that he has got more for them still. They are going to have to believe him again. They're going to have to trust again in a new way, in a a fresh way. It's going to take faith. See, he's moved them to a place where they believe that they can tell people about him and they can pray for people to be sick. And that's wonderful. But he's like, okay, we've got another stage for you now. It's going to take faith. God's word says that faith is more precious than gold. So you think of the thing that matters most to you in the world, and God says, I value faith more than that. I value you trusting me more than that, God always wants us to be living by faith. And what can happen is we can, we can get to a point where we've learned to trust him for huge areas of our life. Maybe like, I don't know, finance or, or telling people about Jesus or, or seeing spiritual gifts happen. And we can be like, great, God has brought me into this place. I've got faith for this now. That's wonderful. There's some other things. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm here with this and that's good. And that is good. But actually, in his love, for you and his desire that he be glorified, God wants to bring you through on some of those other things as well. God wants us to be living by faith, not just coasting along on what he's done before, not just living a life that can be totally explained without reference to him. So for everything that we're doing and everything about us, people who are like us are like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's, yeah, we're like that. And they don't have God in their life and we do. Something is Something's missing, and what's missing is probably faith. Faith for this kind of moment. I don't know, you kind of feel that. If you feel, if you're, do you want to be in that moment? Do you want to be there when Jesus says, you give them something to eat? We've been showing videos over the past few weeks and the ones that we saw today about people from kings who are learning to tell people about Jesus, who are planting churches, and all of them talk about feeling inadequate, unsure, scared, unable to do what God's called them to do. All of the videos have that in some way or other. They're saying, I don't know how to do this, and then I try and do it. And that's, that's part of what faith is. It's about trusting him, believing in him, and then acting. One of my, we had Terry Virgo here last week. One of my favorite quotes from him is that God doesn't despise your weakness, but he can't bless your unbelief. He doesn't despise your weakness, but he can't bless your unbelief. So if you bring faith, if you say, I believe you, he can do all sorts of things. So when we find ourselves in a situation that seems impossible, when we're tempted to give up or not even start, God is saying to us, no, I want you to believe me. And that's what happens in this story. is isn't just that something wonderful happens. It's, there's more to it than that. Think about the situation. So there's a large crowd of people. And they have gathered around the presence of God. That's Jesus. Large crowd around the presence of God, and they're in a kind of desolate place, kind of wilderness. Now, that might make your memory, that sounds vaguely familiar. Large crowd around the presence of God in a kind of wilderness. You might think you know what they're talking about. If you're a Jew, you know exactly what that is. That is Moses and the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness where they were fed every day by God with manna. Bread from heaven, and actually, there's another Old Testament story in Two Kings, chapter four. We're told a man came bringing Elisha the prophet twenty loaves of barley, same type of bread as in this story, actually, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, "Give to the men that they may eat." But his servant said, "How can I set before How can I set this before a hundred men? Because the loaves would have been like a small." you know, small bunch. They've got 20 loaves, 100 men. The servant's like, that's never going to work. Well, Elisha repeated, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. And so he said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Now the disciples, they were Jews. They would have known these stories really well. And now Jesus is saying to them, You give them something to eat. And, you know, again, he's probably looking at them and they're like, oh, I know this look, and I still haven't really figured it out, but I know that something's going to happen. What he's telling them to do is to put their faith in him and who he is and then act. Act. Great uh, hero of faith the last century or so, a man called Brother Andrew, who died just very recently, did incredible things for God. And uh, as I was reading about, just reading one of his obituaries, he had this quote He said, That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. Amazing. We obey. We don't know yet. We obey, and then we find out what God had in mind. God wants to do more in us than we would ask or think or imagine. That's what he wants to do. Maybe there's a new thing that he's asking you to step out into, or maybe it's, simply, it's an old thing that you've tried before. Maybe it used to work, hasn't worked any recently, or something. There's just a sense of you need to go again, something, and God's saying, I'm asking you to do it. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time. But he's asking you to believe him that as you, he's like, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you yet. Let's, let's go. Let's see. Let you see what happens. Now, we know what's going to happen in this story because we've read to the end. And some of us will have heard it many, many, many times. And because we know what's going to happen, we maybe don't feel the tension in the middle of it. That sense of what are they going to do? And we might not also notice what Jesus does in this. And that's the third thing I want us to look at. Just listen again. Focus on what Jesus gets the disciples to do. So we aren't told how the bread and fish were literally multiplied. Jesus, uh, Luke so wants us to listen about something else. He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves, gave them... To the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Clearly, Jesus does the miracle. Clearly, he is the presence of God there. He is the one doing it, but he doesn't do it alone. He does it through the 12. He doesn't say, Guys, watch this. He says, Guys, come on, let's do this. They could not have done it without him. But he didn't want to do it without them. That is the heart of God for, I think, a huge part of discipleship. I want to do things with you. I want to do things through you. They're impossible things for you, not for me. But I want to do them with you. We're taken past our natural limits. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to have to trust God. And that's because, God's like, yes, that's where I wanted you to be. That's why I've been bringing to you, this, you to this place that you would trust me. And then when you're trusting in God, then you work with him. And he loves that. He loves that. When Christians think about God's, being God's children, which we are, like, this is incredible. He loves us so much. He absolutely does. It's absolutely right to think about that and to celebrate that. But we can sometimes be like, great, I'm his child. That means he loves me. The end. And in the Bible, sonship is actually also about adult sons working with their fathers and representing them. It's kind of like a family business, but it's, it's more so because the, the, it's work and social status and place in the world and everything all together. And, and sons would represent their father. So often in our culture, we'll be like, I'm, I'm, you know, you leave family and that's what's seen as growing up. In this culture, what's seen as growing up is that you represent the family. And part of God's incredible plan for his children is that we are to do his work in his name. We are his representatives. He gives us authorization, just as Jesus does in, to the disciples here, just as he does in the Great Commission, when he says, I've got all authority, therefore you go, because I'm giving it to you as well. So being told that we're God's children is not just about affirmation, it is about commission. God wants people to experience his love, his welcome, his truth, his power. And like in this story, he wants to involve those who are already receiving it in sharing it with others. So I guess I'm just asking, are we expecting him to do that? Are you expecting him to do that through you? That you would be the way in which someone received something that they could not otherwise ever have received? Because you believed God, even though it seemed impossible. They received the grace of God. And we do what we, He says, and then we see what He does. Fourth and final things we wrap up, I want us to think about it's just this the abundance of God. They all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. God produces so much food that a crowd of thousands who haven't eaten for hours get to the point where they can't fit any more in. I mean, it's remarkable. This isn't, like, this isn't like polite, no, no, I couldn't possibly have any more of that food that I really don't want to eat. It's not that at all. These people, they don't even necessarily know where their next meal's coming from. A lot of them would have been subsistence, living people that are like, I don't know where food's coming from, but there's some food here, so I'm just going to keep taking as much as I can, and it comes to the point where they give up trying to eat anymore. The Lord of heaven and earth needs no half measures. He doesn't experience the world as scarcity as we do. That's what we feel, don't we? Like, if my time goes there, I don't have that time anymore, so I'm stressed about that. If my money goes over there, I don't have that money anymore, so I'm stressed about that. If my food goes over there, I don't have that food, so I'm stressed about that. That's just not how God is. And so he can say to people, as he does in Psalm 81, verse 10, open your mouth wide, wide, And I will fill it. He can say to thousands of people in a desert place, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you, and it will fill you. And as he does that, he transforms the desolate place into a place where thousands are feasting. Cameron brought that word to us from Isaiah 51. The wilderness will become like Eden. The desert will become like a garden. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. The disciples look around. They're like, there's no food here. Jesus is like, yes, there is. And he's changed it. And then, of course, there's one more desolate place where Jesus goes to. And there's a crowd around him again. But this time, they are mocking him, they are scorning him. And his arms are stretched out again in welcome but he is on the cross, and when he's on the cross, in that desolate place, he releases to those who will believe in him all the riches of God's kindness. And transforms our desert lives into gardens and makes our wilderness into Eden, the garden of fruitfulness where the presence of God is. When we allow him to interrupt our plans and when we believe him and work with him, even though we're not quite sure what it is that he's doing, we will experience an abundance, not for ourselves, but for others through us. It's not that the troubles of this life aren't going to affect us. It's that they are not to stop us from being faithfully generous. Paul said of the Christians in Macedonia, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's like Paul saying, they had like five loaves and two fish and they gave them to God and he did something. And so he then applies that to the rest of us. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. All times. This time. I expect all of us are thinking, what do I do this winter to keep my bills as low as possible? And we're right, it's important that you do think that way because that's being responsible. But in the midst of that, God is going to call us to trust Him that as He works His generosity through us, others will be blessed. So that when we invite people around, we say, come and share some of my food, some of my heating. We say to people, yeah, you can have some of my time. Yeah, you can have my attention. I need to, because I've got things to share with you about Jesus. There is an abundance in that moment. Our homes may feel like a more of a desolate place. the The world might feel like, to us, more like a desolate place than we're used to. And yet God is saying, I have an abundance there if you'll believe me. And if you'll seek to share it, with those around you. The Lord of the harvest says to us, you give them something to eat. So let's respond to him. Let's pray together. Let's just bring our attention to Jesus as he's just reminded us of how great and how good and how wonderful he is. And he's reminded us that he has welcomed us with love and truth and power. He welcomed us. He smiled as we came to him as sinners. If you're a Christian, that's true for you. He taught you about himself and he transformed your life and he may have healed you. He may have totally changed your circumstances and he's done that and he wants to do that now to others, for others, through you. And so it's okay to just confess your selfishness. It's not okay that you're selfish, but it's, it, he's, he knows. So you can say, Lord, I, I don't like being interrupted. Or you can confess your fear. Lord, I, I don't know what might happen if I trust you on that. Or you can f- confess your lack. Say, I don't think I've got anywhere near enough to do what I think you're asking me to do. It's okay to bring those things to him, but that's where we need to leave them. And so now, Holy Spirit, I just want to ask for a gift of faith to fall on all of us who want to obey you. A fresh faith, a fresh believing and a confidence in you, in you, Lord God. Just come to each heart saying, I I really I really want to follow him. I really want to believe him. Let's receive now an encouragement from God. As you go and do that, still not necessarily knowing what he's going to do, he is going to do something. He is going to do something. Let's say yes to working with him, sharing his goodness with others. As we do that, we will see him do wonderful things. If That's what you want to do. If that's how you want to live your life. Just want to encourage you. Is to say, yes, Lord, amen, amen.